We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to a special edition of the Rotowire MBA podcast. Nick Whalen here. Uh, we are rebranding just for one day as the Rotowire College Basketball Podcast to talk NCAA tournament. Going to hit some bracket pools, going to hit some gambling angles with Jason Lisk of TeamRankings.com. He heads up their BetIQ sports betting hub over at Team Rankings. Uh, and Adam Zadroic from Rotowire also going to join us. He is very deep in the weeds of our excellent college basketball coverage. He heads up our bracketology this time of year. Had a great time breaking down the tournament with both Adam and Jason. Both those guys gave a ton of actionable advice when it comes to picking bracket pools, laying out your strategy, uh, and then betting on the tournament as well. So we are mixing it up a little bit, getting away from our normal NBA-centric talk, but never fear. I did work in some NBA draft chatter toward the end, so make sure you're sticking around for that. But overall, had a really fun time breaking down the tournament. Uh, one of my favorite times of year, one of pretty much every sports fan's favorite times of the year. Uh, and Jason and Adam were the perfect guys to talk to as I kind of go through in my mind and, and you know pre-fill out my brackets uh, before everything gets underway on Thursday. So we had a great time. I think you'll really enjoy it. Um, without further ado, let's get to Adam and Jason and hopefully make you some money. In the hands of Waiters, three seconds left for three in the win. All right, we have Adam Zadroic and Jason Lisk on the line. Adam handles a ton of our college basketball bracketology and betting content this time of year. Jason does fantastic work over at TeamRankings.com and their Bet IQ vertical. Tons of bracket building tools, NCAA tournament gambling advice over at Team Rankings. So make, make sure you're checking that out. Uh, and make sure to use our promo code ROTOWIRE for special discounts on TeamRankings.com. Just go to TeamRankings.com slash ROTOWIRE to access those discounts. Gentlemen, we brought you on for a deep dive on the NCAA tournament, of course, uh, specifically betting angles, bracket building angles. Uh, essentially, I'm enlisting you to inform me how I can avoid embarrassment in my pools, especially the Rotowire office pool, which I just entered about 15 minutes ago. Uh, and hopefully, oh. you know, make a little bit of money on the side over these next few weeks. So before we dive in, thanks for coming on. I know this is a super, super busy time 
for both of you guys, but really glad this worked out. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, first advice, you got to be contrarian. So if, if you share this podcast with everybody else in your pool, you're then going to have to pick opposite. So <laughs> sorry to tell you that. Yeah, my advice is to just bet on, you know, a round by round basis. So you don't lose, uh, you don't lose all your money based off the bracket. Because as we know, uh, even, a, even though how much you know about these teams, it doesn't really matter uh, for the mm-hmm. bracket, but it's fun to talk about for sure. Yeah, very true. And both of you guys have been putting out a ton of content over these last couple of days. Uh, so make sure you're checking out everything on team rankings and everything on Rotowire. Jason, what do you make of the way that the bracket broke yesterday evening? Uh, it felt like to me, not a ton of controversy compared to some past years in teams, in terms of teams being left out, teams that shouldn't have snuck in, maybe sneaking in. Like Michigan was kind of the only team that I felt like I saw a lot of backlash about on social media um, you know, any major injustices stand out to you? Something that I'm not picking up on? Well, I, I do think this. I think it's become clearer and clearer that the committee just doesn't pay much attention to anything that happens after they start meeting on Thursday. Because I, if you would have had A&M's results last week and they had started looking at that resume, they're in. I'm sorry, they are. They beat Auburn. They beat Arkansas on neutral courts. Uh, and obviously, they were playing for seed. I don't get that one. But I'm also not going to say major injustice, but they, I mean, they were nine and nine and probably the best conference, in my opinion, in the upper half. And then they went on a run in the tournament to beat some of those teams um, and have played much better since a lineup change. But uh, they're one Tennessee, you know, blind resume. If, if you set it up, they're a two seed ahead of Duke and Villanova. And so I don't I feel like the committee just doesn't watch what happens. <laughs> These games are more important than November 17th in terms of predictability and how you're going to, you know, evaluate the teams, but that's not how the committee views it. Uh, Duke's win over Kentucky in the first game out when Kentucky had a bunch of people playing for the first time together is way more important to the committee than what happened this week. Just relating to that. I think it's overall you have for some reason, I don't know why, but the committee overrated the ACC. Uh, and it's not even just Duke going again, uh, going up to So like you have Duke, but also Notre Dame, made the tournament over Texas A&M for unclear reasons. Like yeah. Notre Dame, yeah, 21 10. Yeah, exactly. Notre Dame had, what, 17 wins against quad three and quad four. And then, like, you look at other ACC teams. It's like North Carolina was on the bubble before they won at Duke, and they got an eight seed. And then, like, Notre Dame made it. You'd think that – so Virginia Tech, they won the ACC tournament. You know, that would have – Usually, like that would have pushed out a team like Notre Dame because it's another ACC team. But it's like, right. no, we're going to have Notre Dame on the bubble, even though it's a team like Texas A&M, uh, frankly, has a better resume and should be in. But, you know, these are these are small things. It's kind of same yeah. thing happens every year. You got small seating things that people disagree with. But uh, I guess Siri disagreed with that one for some reason. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll say I. I do bracket uh, projections and besides having Notre Dame out and being wrong on that and A&M, uh, I had Michigan in, I, I thought the resume was fine. It was a, a matter of whether you're bothered by the overall loss, but they played a tough schedule. Um, the, the only one I missed like by more than one seed line was Iowa state, but that, that I'm not bothered by it. They haven't been playing well lately. I just thought the big 12 would, would bolster them up because they beat Iowa. They beat some teams in the non-conference, but uh, for the most part, I felt like the teams were otherwise seated where I would expect. Now, that's not to say that I think they're seeded based on quality. I think there's quite a quite a mismatch on some of those things. Well, what do you guys make of, of the way that the number one seeds 
broke down. We have Baylor in the east. We got Kansas in the Midwest. We have Gonzaga out west, of course, and then Arizona in the south. Very little pushback, at least from what I saw, in terms of how those teams ended up. I think you know pretty clear uh, top four in that regard. But is there one path that you like for any one of those teams? Like, did, did one of those one seeds get a much easier path to the Final Four or to the national championship game uh, than any of the others? Overall, I don't – I feel like Arizona maybe got the worst of it in the sense of who's in their region. I mean, Tennessee was put at three. And as we talked about, they could have been at two. And Villanova is a very good team. I mean, they've got excellent guard play, solid team. Um, and then I think that's the region with Illinois and Houston. So that, that that's a pretty good top five. I feel like Arizona uh, got the toughest path. I don't know that anybody got a particularly easy one. There's contenders in every region, uh, but I, I do feel like – now I do feel like there's a two seed that got, that, that, that got a break. Uh, I don't know if we want to talk about that. Oh, absolutely. Dive right in. Okay. Yeah. So um, Kentucky in the East. Now, I'll, I'll, and I'll explain why. Because looking at overall resume, Baylor's the one seed. I, I get that. Once once Kentucky mm-hmm. and once Auburn lost in the SEC tournament and once Duke didn't play well in the final week, um, it had to be Baylor and Kansas both, I think. But that said, this Baylor team, I think, has some question marks. They are not peaking right now. LJ Cryer, their best shooting, their best outside shooter, has pretty much been out for the last month and a half, and they haven't been quite as good without him. Uh, they lost uh, one of their two two big posts, and so they're a little bit thinner on the front line. And so those factors, I think, for a one seed, they, they've got some question marks. And as we know, Kentucky has a <laughs> Kentucky has a dominant inside game with Oscar Sheeple, so that could be an issue. Uh, secondly, Purdue's a three seed in that region. Now, maybe Purdue's numbers may may look great, but here's the deal: teams like Purdue do not project well in the NCAA tournament. Uh, they are a team that's very good on offense, but their defensive numbers are horrifying for for a, a, a supposed title contender. And teams like that have failed. Um, and so, I think Kentucky is has got a team that do, that plays a style that doesn't play well in the tournament. Is their three seed? and a one seed that's impacted by injury. And so uh, those two factors maybe are some hidden factors in why I think Kentucky maybe got a, a good draw. I was basically going to say the same thing there. Uh, been watching Purdue all season. Their defense is bad. <laughs> that's that's kind of how to put it. Uh, they, they have looked better. They did look a little better in the Big Ten tournament, so maybe they're trying harder. I don't I don't know what uh, Matt, Matt Painter's coaching uh, strategy is there. But I, I do like uh, Auburn's run as a two seed as well. You know, they have the potential, like, I'm not, I don't like, I'm not huge on USC or Miami. I think Auburn has a pretty clear run to the Sweet 16. And then, sure, Nick, your your Wisconsin team going all the way. But if that matchup happens, I just saw Wisconsin get eaten up, well, sort of eaten up by Marcus Bingham. And if you can't contain Marcus Bingham, what are you going to do against Walker Kessler and Jabari Smith? Uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the Stephen Crowell, Walker Kessler matchup is, is something that I, part of me almost hopes that we don't even get there because I think it could get really, really ugly for Wisconsin. But no, I think you're spot on. I think Auburn is the team that jumped out to me. I mean, the Kentucky Purdue potential showdown, you know, in, in the sweet 16, I, I think is looming. And, and you mentioned Purdue, Jason, I, I think they're going to be a team that's going to be kind of batted around for as long as they're alive in the tournament. If you look on DraftKings right now, they're, they're plus 450 to make it to the final four. That's up from plus 350 when I checked late last night. Uh, so maybe, you know, people losing a little bit of faith in Purdue as, as people dig into those defensive numbers and see that it is literally unprecedented for a team to 
make a run all the way to the final four, let alone even win just two or three games in the tournament when you're that bad on defense. But there's something that when you watch Purdue, it's like, this just feels like a classic, great college basketball team. You know, you have the top five NBA prospect in Jaden Ivey. You have the seven, four big man who would have been the number one pick in the draft in 1990, but is now a guy that might not even play in the NBA. Like you have Stefanovic, the, like the foreign shooter that, you know, you can't leave open. Like they have seemingly this great mix, but like you said, the numbers indicate very strongly that this team is not the type of team that can make a deep run. So I'm not advocating certainly to bet, you know, Purdue plus 450 to make the final four, but you know, where do we draw the line? It's like, where do, where do you see this team eventually or inevitably bowing out? Well, I, I mean, they could lose at any point mm-hmm. because of their, because of those risk factors. I'll say this. Yes. Purdue looks like you, you look at them. You're like, why are they not better? Right. They have size. Now, I do think, like, Stefanovic and some of the wings aren't – Ivy's a great athlete, they, but Stefanovic, I think, is a defensive liability. And I also think, um, you know, Zach Eadie's a defensive liability, honestly, if he has to come away from the basket. And I think we see that. He's not like a, an elite shot blocker for his size. Um, but the biggest thing is Purdue plays a style they don't turn people over, and that shows up in the defensive efficiency numbers and also in the comparable teams – so here's teams that were, were not, like, let's say, outside the top 70 on defense entering the tournament, but were like a top seed and, and, and didn't turn people over. Uh, Ohio State last year is a two. Lost in overtime to Oral Roberts. Missouri in 2012 played Norfolk State, got lit up, and lost. Uh, Duke that same year is a two. Lost to, I think it was Lehigh. They were a bad defensive two seed that was great on offense. I, anyway, so the point is there's a lot of risk. I don't know when they'll lose. But there's risk. So many of the teams like them. Um, I think there's only been a handful. Like Notre Dame one year went to the Elite Eight as a three seed with, with similar defensive numbers. And I think Michigan went to a Final Four uh, about eight years ago when they weren't great uh, defensively but were efficient offensively. But generally, these teams have risk when they're seeded this high because they have a fatal flaw. And so if they don't turn people over and teams can score on them and go on runs, uh, that's a risk when, when things get tight in an NCAA tournament you could probably even look to Iowa last year. Like I think that oh, Iowa yeah, team, sure. they they probably had more cohesion than this Purdue team. I'm still there's still spurts where this Purdue offense is has some problems. Like I, like obviously you always want to throw to the big man down low. You get him the yeah. ball. Uh, that's that's one strategy. And then uh, Ivy is kind of like full court, either you know fast break kind of a thing. I'm not sold on him yet in the half court offense. He still has a lot of things to work out. So I'm just going to say here, Virginia Tech, I, I'm looking at the uh, the people's bracket, ASPN right now. Virginia Tech, the 11th seed. More people are picking them picking them because, you know, they just won the ACC. But I think uh, kind of sleeping on the Chris Beard defense, and I think that Chris Beard defense is something that's going to cause uh, Purdue problems. And that would be like – I am I think both teams can beat Purdue in the uh, round of 32 there, but I think – Texas is more likely of a team than Virginia Tech to take down Purdue, I'd I'd say. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, 
So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. So you guys mentioned Iowa. I think Iowa is perhaps the, you know, kind of that team that seems to be gaining the most momentum, obviously coming off of a pretty convincing run through the Big Ten tournament capped off with the title yesterday afternoon uh, we've seen Iowa have some good teams in the past it's not like this came out of nowhere I mean they were a two seed just last season but watching this team they feel a little bit more complete to me I mean the, the Iowa teams of the past honestly reminded me a lot of some of the good Wisconsin teams where you're like okay yeah there's a lot of a lot of good role players here a lot of good college players but is there really anyone on this roster that has that next level ability so when you get to the elite eight or you maybe get to the final four and you're going up against a team that has multiple lottery picks, like, can you hang with that team? And the answer for Iowa has always been no, but now with Keegan Murray emerging as, you know, perhaps the best NBA prospect in school history, he's going to be their first NBA first round pick in 24 years. Assuming he comes out, Ricky Davis in 1998, you have to go all the way back uh, before the turn of the millennium for their last first round pick. Where do you come in on Iowa? Does, does it feel like they maybe now have that talent level uh, to get past those barriers that they haven't been able to break down? Yeah, I think that's the thing. So as we watch here with, with Iowa, I, I'm kind of upset that they actually won the Big Ten tournament. It was it was a few weeks ago. I saw them smash Michigan State. They beat them by 26 points. It could have been worse than that. And, you know, since that game, they've played, they've played much different than times during their season. Like their defense is playing better. And sure, there's still like the defense is still down there in terms of the metrics. But like if you look at the last 10 games, the numbers are a little different. You know, they just beat they held Purdue to the Purdue offense that we were just talking about to 66 points, a Big Ten title game. Uh, sure, they've allowed a lot of points, but some of that is because, you know, they like to run. So you can't exactly look at, you know, point total comparing with with pace and all that. But yeah, Keegan Murray, the thing is what's what else outside of Keegan Murray I mean you could say the same thing about Wisconsin and Johnny Davis it's like so who who else is going to step up here you got games where you know Jordan Bohannon is is what hitting 10 threes stuff like that they don't really have a major post presence like they have Rebracha but I'm not sure how much you can count on him for for things like that I think it was uh, their double so it was the Michigan game uh, a couple weeks ago in the regular season where they actually used like Keegan Murray and Chris Murray uh, to double team Hunter Dickinson in the post, which is pretty awesome strategy as, as it worked. Um, so, you know, they have it, they've at least, you know, uh, Fran McCaffrey's gone to try different things defensively, which at some time, at, at, you know, at point for Iowa is like this team just doesn't play defense, but 
Yeah. You know, we saw we saw the last few weeks that that I, they actually can play defense. So I think that's what uh, is something that can can make them uh, you know, a contender for the Final Four. I'd say. Yeah, I think they've um, they've improved enough in that area. Unlike Purdue, like they're not a great defensive team, but I do think since they put Perkins in the lineup more, that's been kind of an X factor as he's more of a glue guy that will do that stuff. And um, so I think he's a factor in, you know, Keegan Murray, as you said, top talent. Um, anyway, this Iowa team, I, I mean, I just I just successfully, by the way, and, and we had staff picks that we were putting out. Uh, Iowa to win the Big Ten plus 400 is one of my hits. Uh, last week, I'm on the Iowa train. I mean, I've been on them for weeks. Um, great offense, but better defensively than Purdue. Right now, the best team in the Big Ten, but they got the five seed. Again, not surprising, the committee doesn't really care what happens over the weekend leading into Selection Sunday. But Iowa's the best team. And, and unlike – I mean, how many five seeds are favored by ten points in the first round? They, they, so they look like a three or four seed and, and, and maybe in quality a two seed based on how they're playing. A dangerous team certainly can lose when things don't go right. But I think it's going to take a team that has somebody that can defend Murray and is tall enough and athletic enough to shut him down. So we got nine teams from the Big Ten in this field. But as you alluded to, none of those teams got higher than a three seed. And that's where we find Purdue right. and Wisconsin. Like, Is Iowa your favorite of those nine Big Ten teams? I like Iowa's – I would play their odds uh, more than the others. I think, um, you know, I think the others have question marks. Um, Illinois, we need – I haven't heard if Grandison's still out. He, he missed the last couple games for Illinois. Illinois feels like a team that should be better than they are but they haven't. I mean, they, they've been inconsistent. Iowa, I think, is the team that can make the run. Now, and I'll say this, by the way, people, some people are like, oh, the hot team. Don't play the hot team. Don't fall for it. Um, if there's a reason they're hot, like if they've done something, if they, they look like they're playing better, it's not just like random three-point luck, uh, whatever. I think there's a reason to play on them. I mean, in the last decade, we've seen 2019 Auburn runs to the SEC title, doesn't get boosted much, stays as a five, and then goes to the Final Four. Uh, Michigan in 2018 wins the Big Ten title on a heater. Um, is a, made a three seed, probably could have been a two. Goes to the final championship game, loses to Villanova. And 2011, Connecticut wins, I think, five games in the Big East when Kimba Walker gets on a heater and then wins the national title as a three seed. And so I, the evidence is not – I mean, I could also find teams that lost, but certainly you, you shouldn't just write off teams because they've been hot. I mean, there's a reason Iowa, I think, is attractive. They have a great offense that can win a national title if the defense plays well enough. Yeah, I think there's a big difference between a, a Cinderella-like run through a conference tournament, and, and maybe Virginia Tech is not quite Cinderella, but that's a, that's a team that we know is not that good, who got hot at the right time, and, and maybe got a little bit of luck along the way. There's a difference between that and a really good team that we know is really good, like Iowa, um, seemingly just kind of putting everything together at the right time. You know, you touched on Illinois, and maybe this will finally, uh, you know, finish out our, our chat about the Big Ten. Illinois sitting there at 40-1 to 1 to win it all. I, I certainly would not be, be recommending that with how inconsistent <laughs> this team has been. They are 13-1 and 1 when Andre Corbello does not play this season. The one loss was a four-point loss to one-seed Arizona. Um, is there any value in Illinois? They're seven-and-a-half-point favorites against Chattanooga in round one. That game will be on Friday evening. To me, it, this just feels like a team that had a really, really nice window to potentially make a run all the way last season. And, of course, they get knocked out early. And this just doesn't seem like this team has nearly the same upside as a year ago. Sure, there's value in it, 40-1. to 1, But personally, like if you, if you look at their potential run, 
I may even like they could be it could be Houston, Arizona, Tennessee or Villanova. Like just looking at those by a game by game basis, I might pick the other side in all of those games. Uh, so I'm just I'm just not sure they can put together a run like that. It It's just not the like if a team can kind of take out Kofi, which, you know, a team like Arizona could a team like Houston could. And then it's kind of up to can Alfonso Plummer hit a bunch of threes? Can Trey Frazier take over? Uh, sometimes it's true, but can they do that on a consistent basis? I'm not sure. Uh, not I'm not looking at the 40 to one. I'll say that. So, Jason, you mentioned earlier. Uh, obviously, Gonzaga is the the betting favorite to win it all. They're they're at about three to one mm-hmm. on DraftKings. That that line has been moving a little bit in either direction, uh, depending on when you look. But you know, something interesting that you noted is. You know, it doesn't really match up in terms of popularity uh, of the public picking Gonzaga to win the whole tournament and the actual probability, you know, that you guys derive over at team rankings. And what's also interesting to me is there's not really a clear number two. You know, if you're, if you're not picking Gonzaga, there doesn't appear to be a either or situation. It's a, it might be Arizona. It might be Kentucky. It might be Kansas. It might be Baylor. Uh, what do you make of that? And, and, you know, does Gonzaga deserve to kind of be on its own tier in this tournament? I mean, Gonzaga is the favorite if you look at everything, and that makes sense. Um, they are not as dominant as last year, I don't think. I mean, uh, they don't I – mean, having Suggs, having Corey Kispert, um, this mm-hmm. church team has plenty of talent, but uh, with the veteran leadership of Kispert, I think that's an element they don't have. Um, but they're still you know, very good. they got a front line of Holmgren and Timmy, and, and they're the favorite. Uh, it's not surprising that people are picking them more than their expected win rate. I think the market odds are going to be somewhere over 20% below 25. And right now uh, we're estimating about 28% of the public is picking Gonzaga to win a title in a bracket. That's not, that's not like so prohibitive. You should never pick Gonzaga, by the way. Um, it depends on the size of your pool. Um, if you're in a smaller pool, it may still make sense to do that and then beat people with other picks uh, and take the safe pick. Um, that said, you ask about contenders. Um, I do think it's a little more spread out and there's more contenders on other seed lines besides number one. Like last year, it was Gonzaga and Baylor in Illinois with Michigan having key injuries. Uh, so they were out, but so it was basically a three person race, a three team race, um, and then a drop off, uh, with longer shots this year. I think, I mean, Kentucky's on the two line, Tennessee's on the three Duke Villanova, Auburn, um, you know, even teams like Iowa, UCLA, and Houston. I think there's it's just uh, there's a lot more teams siphoning off picks, and so there's no team that's like at 15%. And so anybody else you pick is probably at 10% or less popularity to win it in your pool. So if you're in a pool with 100 people, there may be only 5 to 10 other people that have your pick just to win it. Well, set aside all the other picks you're going to make to try to win the pool just to cash that. Uh, you may be only competing against 5 to 10 others. So... Uh, I do think that's a that, that's a notable thing about this year is that there's it's a little more spread out at the second tier. So the numbers on team rankings point to Kentucky as perhaps the best value pick in terms of public pick percentage versus you know the the implied chance that they win the whole thing. Uh, you know you're almost getting plus five percent in terms of that right. metric. That's what the numbers say. But do you agree with that? You know from what you've seen with your own eyes. Do I first do I agree that Kentucky is a contender? Yes. I'm surprised. I'll tell you, I'm surprised that Kentucky is not more popular. Brand name program. It's not like they haven't beat up on some really they they went into Kansas and crushed them when they were at full strength. And they've had some injuries down the stretch, but they should be okay. They just they just had a bad game against Tennessee. Um 
And sure, any team plays like that, they're going to lose in this tournament against another top 10 team. But I don't think it's worrying long term. Uh, Tennessee is, the, is one of the top, I think, in the betting markets, one of the top three. And I agree with that assessment based on the, what their top lineup can do at its peak. And so what I'm surprised by is the pick rate, uh, that they aren't a little higher. Um, given that, I'm, I, I guess I'm, I'm shocked because the betting markets, it's not like we're out of line with the betting markets with assessing. It's more like uh, people are reacting, I guess, to the fact they lost and there's some value there. Yeah, those numbers are pretty interesting because you can, like, you look at Kansas. Why is why is Kansas uh, more popular for a champion? Just because they're a one seed? I guess that's what people, you know, they flock to. They just flock to the one seed. Like, Baylor's pre- also pretty popular, but not to the level of Kentucky. But uh, it's it's kind of weird. I guess, I guess it's probably because, so you got Baylor as the one seed and Kentucky as a two seed. It's kind of like those are, uh, people are going, uh, splitting between them and then, uh, they'll be they'll go in with uh, Gonzaga. Otherwise, it's probably the the route there, I guess. Yeah, Kansas, I mean Kansas can absolutely play better. Than, I mean, just because Kentucky won that game, but Kansas is a contender too. But yeah, I'm surprised that the Kentucky number. And I will say this: sometimes people fill out brackets, they don't put all one seeds, and I'm surprised that Kentucky isn't a popular choice precisely because they they're a non one seed that you can still say, oh, I'm taking Kentucky, and I'm not even picking all one seeds. I would have expected Tennessee and Kentucky to be extremely popular choices coming out of the two and three line. And I guess the Kentucky one's a surprising to me, but maybe it's like I said, just a reaction to they look bad in their last game. Yeah. I mean, do you think there's some, when you're talking public brackets, you know, not everybody is is watching all these games and tracking all the injury news. Do you think there's some lag in terms of maybe not fully understanding some of the limitations that this Baylor team has. And a lot of people just saying, oh, they won it last year. They're a one seed again. They're, they're just going to do the same thing. There could be. Uh, I, although Baylor isn't super popular in the betting markets, right? Uh, and, and they aren't that popular in pools. It's not like it's not like people are picking them second behind Gonzaga because they're the defending champions. They're, they're the fourth most popular one seed. Um, Arizona's the second right now. Arizona's in, in the second position. So, I mean, you're – you're not getting all of that, but I do think that, I mean, honestly, I, I, I don't know the full answer, but here's what I'll say. If you're looking at a betting market, sometimes you got to think about brackets. People worry about, oh, who am I going to pick in the 6-11 game or the 8-9 game, right? And those may matter, especially in large pools where you got to beat thousands of people. But if you're playing with your buddies in 50-person pools or hundred even a 100-person pool, you should be thinking about leveraging outcomes and and – you might be better off than go if you like Kentucky. Don't go place a, a futures bet. Pick them in a pool. You're probably getting better pot odds than than actually going and paying the book. Uh, you can use the betting market as a guide, but you're probably getting pot odds if these popularity numbers hold up. People aren't actually turning to Kentucky to win. So Adam, I'll kick this one to you. Which of the one seeds do you think could be in the most danger in the round of 32? And and it sounds kind of dramatic, you know, to, to be picking a team like that to lose in round two, but we saw it last year with Illinois bowing out to Loyola. We saw it in 2018 with one seed Xavier losing to that Florida state team that ended up going to the elite eight. Um, so we'd be looking at Gonzaga versus either Boise state or Memphis, Arizona versus Seton hall or TCU, Kansas versus San Diego state or Creighton or Baylor versus UNC or Marquette. Which of those one seeds do you think could be on a little bit of shaky ground uh, in that round of 32? Yeah, I think the obvious move is, you know, because Baylor is the least popular one seed. It's like, oh, North Carolina, 
uh, you know, they beat Duke, so they can beat Baylor. And, yeah, that makes sense. I don't uh, – that's probably what everyone's talking about. So I'm going to switch this up and say Gonzaga, uh, either – no matter if they play Boise State or Memphis, I don't care. Uh, you know, majority of people are picking Memphis because of Petty Hardaway, because of, you know, Jalen Duran, the higher level recruits and all that. But I kind of like Boise State. So the thing with Boise State is they play slow, they play defense, and that is – I think they can take a similar route to how, like we saw St. Mary's give give Gonzaga a lot of trouble. Uh, again, they're a team that plays slow, play defense, and, you know, they – they held uh, Holmgren and Timmy to reasonable totals compared to their season averages in, in the last two games against them. Obviously, we have the St. Mary's held them to 57 points in uh, two games ago against them. But I think, you know, everyone's going to be, you know, Otto, Gonzaga, you know, these teams can't actually compete with them. But like, why, like, why not? Uh, Boise State can follow that same St. Mary's path. They're going to play slow as, you know, as long as they, they can stay strong and, and keep up on the scoreboard, uh, score enough points as long as as long as it's not like okay, Boise State can't put the ball in the bucket, but like Marcus Shaver, Emmanuel Acott, former Arizona guy, like they have guys, and no one really knows anything about them because it's MWC. But I think if that matchup happens, I think it's going to be a closer game than a lot of people think. And I mean, even though I'm talking about Boise State, like I think Memphis is is kind of in that same range too. Well, I, I want to say that I, I don't know if Adam and I are sharing a brain um, <laughs> because I, 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 the toughest eight, nine matchup to me is that I had both those teams marked pre-tournament bracket as sleepers. If Boise state was like a 10 or a seven, I would probably be, you know, I'd be, I'd, I'd like their chances more than coming up against Gonzaga, but they could still do it. Same with Memphis. Memphis is on a heater um, basically since uh, their, their top recruit left. Um, uh, I think things have they, they've actually and they still got dudes all over the court. They can defend, uh, get up, shot block, all that stuff. Uh, both these teams are really good and better than their raw numbers. If you just looked at their overall records, uh, Boise started three and four, but it's been very good since. And so here's what I'd say: I, I think it's too risky, and in a, in a, I'll talk bracket pools versus betting. I think it's too risky in a bracket pool to pick one of those teams because a you may lose the first game. So you may be right, but still lose, right? And that doesn't do you any good because this is a, a pretty close matchup, Memphis Boise. Um, but you can go. I, I found on FanDuel this morning, and so I don't know if everybody can can find it in their jurisdictions if they have access to FanDuel, but they have markets for make or miss the Sweet Sixteen. You can get you can get plus forty on Gonzaga to miss, and I think that's a good price. And I actually think most of the prices on the one and two seeds to miss are probably decent prices because the public, I think, overestimates the likelihood that these teams lose in this round and underestimates that they then make a run once they get past it. Um, so I think there's some value in playing these teams at plus odds to miss um, in, in on a betting prop versus, say, using it in your bracket, unless you're in a really large pool. If you're in a really large pool, maybe you take some swings. But you don't want to take swings like this. But I think it's a good it's a good play. I, I do like that. Uh, I like also playing against Baylor with the North Carolina's front line uh, with Baylor's lack of depth. But again, North Carolina could lose to Marquette, a team that can pressure the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, Arizona could lose, right? They've got TCU, a team that can offensive rebound. And uh, who's the other matchup in that one? Um, Seton, Hall. Seton Hall. Seton Hall. So Seton Hall lost their point guard, but has size, right? And so they can compete with Arizona's front line. 
And so, I mean, there are some matchups where I think, yeah, it's not likely to happen, but you can get pretty good plus odds for one of these top teams to miss versus uh, put it in your bracket pool. So I feel like we keep coming back to the top of this East region. That's where Baylor resides. You know, we're talking about the possibility of North Carolina or Marquette potentially pulling that upset. If that were to happen, I, I think, you know, based on the betting splits that we've been referencing, you know, Baylor is viewed as the weakest of the one seeds. Like, where, where does this kind of open up an opportunity? You know, we also mentioned Purdue on the bottom half of that bracket as being a little bit shaky. If we don't have that much confidence in the one seed, we don't have that much confidence in the three seed. I mean, is this an opportunity for four seed UCLA, five seed St. Mary's to potentially make a run? I don't have confidence in anyone, so I'll let Jason start this here. <laughs> um, and also, I mean, we've seen teams come out of the play-in game, like in Indiana, go to the Sweet 16. But um, we've seen that plenty of times recently where the team got hot out of Dayton. Um, I will say this. I think UCLA is probably one of the biggest X factors in this tournament if you're making a bracket pick. Because they could lose to St. Mary's or Indiana. Um, or they could go on a run. We know they, they did last year and they have the talent. And if Baylor gets knocked off or Baylor isn't playing well by the Sweet 16, they can win that one and go on a run. So I think what happens with UCLA is going to have a big impact on brackets because you're going to have some people picking them to the Final Four and some pick against them early. So I think they're like a swing pick in a lot of pools. Yeah, that's where that's where my problem comes to because uh, I don't really – I'm not huge on St. Mary's overall. And, I mean, UCLA, we saw them last year and they had some pieces. And then you throw in like the Baylor thing. Uh, I, like if, if you come to that Indiana Wyoming game, like if Indiana, like, like Indiana probably should have beat Iowa in the Big Ten tournament, where you know we're talking about Iowa making another run. So, like Indiana, maybe they pick up that play. Uh, it's you know hard thing to bet on. You don't want to be like yeah Indiana Sweet Sixteen, and then you get to Indiana Baylor, and it's like well I don't want Baylor in the in the Elite Eight. So you're like uh, Indiana, no. <laughs> so it's kind of a kind of a slippery slope here as as we look at these teams so it's kind of like i i fall elf i fell to ucla is kind of what i'm saying just because of like they have the talent right. saw what they did last year i don't want really want to bank on you know johnny juzang just hitting all these impossible shots again but i think just you know they're a good defensive team uh, cody riley is is healthy and i think overall i think they're the team that has the best chance here to, in the elite eight to to play a team like Kentucky, what we talked about earlier. Well, and I'll, I'll use this as an opportunity to drop to promote one of some of our product stuff because at Team Rankings, we have bracket subscriptions where you, you input your rules, we give you bracket advice. But this would be a case uh, if you play large pools, play multiple entries. And we actually, what we do is re we give you five recommendations, five different brackets, but they're designed to work together. So we may have UCLA on a run and one. But then there's a complimentary one where that doesn't happen and the things that are more likely to happen if, if that's the case doesn't, you know, it, they basically work to complement each other. If you lose one, hopefully you, it, one another one's a type of insurance where you're still in play. And so uh, we do that for large pools. And so if you like to play large pools, that's an option. Um, and that's a, that, that's where I think UCLA, if you play multiple pools, you can you can kind of you can kind of dabble in both deep runs and not so deep runs. I want to backtrack real quickly because you guys mentioned the play-in games and I'm not talking the 16 seed play-ins. I'm talking the, the 11 and the 12. We got Rutgers, Notre Dame. We got Wyoming, Indiana. Is there a specific strategy that you guys employ when attacking those games? Like I, I find myself by default, almost always picking 
you know, the team that, that gets the winner of that game, just because I don't, I like don't want to deal with the extra research that goes into, um, you know, kind of, kind of dealing with the outcome of that matchup. But like you said, Jason, it feels like every year, one of those teams has started to make a run since they expanded that play in format. So how do you handle that? Is there any kind of, you know, cheat code essentially to deriving value out of those matchups? Well, I think a lot of people do what you do, um, which is to say, oh, I don't know who they're playing. Exactly. So I'm going to pick, pick, so I'm going to pick Alabama over Rutgers Notre Dame because I don't, I don't know who it is. Right. Uh, whereas I'll tell you right now in our power ratings, that's basically a pick them. Whichever team advances out of Rutgers Notre Dame, maybe Alabama's favored by a point. That's going to be a pick them. And if, if, if more people are picking Alabama, you should be leveraging the upset pick in that case because it's not really high risk. So, I mean, that's how I think about it. Yeah, we've seen UCLA last year. We saw VCU 10 years ago. We've seen plenty. I'm trying to think who else. It's, I don't think Syracuse made a run out of that. They were a 10 seed. But there's been several 11 seeds that have made runs to the Sweet 16 early date out of that position. It feels like every year one of the two does something. And I don't know if it's because they, they have a chance to play two days earlier and, and aren't as cold. You know, the other team sat out for sometimes up to a week. Um, or if there's just if it's just random, but I do think there's value because people don't 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 like to pick the uh, the team that where it says play in winner on their bracket. So I think there's value to picking the play in winner in bracket pools, uh, probably on average. Yeah, I think a lot of it's also like who is the six seed, who is the five seed. Like this year, you got Alabama, inconsistent, bad at defense, and then you got St. Mary's. Not a pe- not a lot of people know about them, but you know, slow team. Uh, thrives on defense so a team that it's gonna be tough to make a long-term run with them last year like UCLA started their run against a bad Michigan State team uh who you know was on the bubble so uh I guess they weren't the uh and then the win was against BYU BYU. yeah yeah so like yeah there you go another WCC WCC team that uh not a lot of people knew about or had much confidence in so I think you kind of look at that and that's kind of like, that's what we have. St. Mary's in, in Alabama. Like I, I'd be fine going against either of those teams. So looking at the first round specifically, uh, talking the games that, that kick off on Thursday. And I believe Michigan Colorado state is the first one that we get on Thursday morning in your eyes. What is the most fun round of 64 matchup? It could be for betting purposes. If you really like an angle or just a game that you are really, really pumped to watch as a fan. Uh, I'll, I'll start with a couple. Uh, I mean, first of all, any of them, a um, <laughs> correct answer as, as long as they aren't showing me the the one versus 16 the whole time but we, we can pick our channels it's not like when i was growing up when there was one game on you were stuck with whatever your market got so when kansas was the one seed and I, i'm not a kansas fan but i'm in kansas city i get to watch kansas blow somebody out um so now i can pick and choose so here's something I, i'm interested in uh i want to see murray state versus san fran two teams that aren't in power conferences but are legit that's an interesting one to me um, I, I, the Boise State Memphis one is a great one. Um, Texas VC, Texas Virginia Tech, different styles, uh, two completely different types of teams. Which one prevails? Uh, that's another interesting one. And you know, uh, Loyola favored over Ohio State. We've already seen Loyola make plenty of runs in the tournament. Ohio State's got some issues. Loyola's the favorite despite being the 10 seed. So those are some that. Uh, I definitely want to watch. And Michigan's favorite over Colorado State. That's going to be an interesting contrast because David Rowdy is not tall, but is a skilled like player that has to play inside for Colorado State. Michigan with Hunter Dickinson and plenty of size. 
how does Colorado State handle that? But then again, how does Michigan match up against Colorado State's offense when they pull them away from the basket? I'll point out, we got South Dakota State, best shooting team in the country against Providence, probably the luckiest team in the country. <laughs> uh, that one will be, will be fun because South Dakota State, they, they don't really play defense. And it'll just depend on can Providence, you know, score enough against South Dakota State because in most cases, like it seems like South Dakota State will score against pretty much whoever they play. It just depends on if their opponent can score 100 points or not. Yeah. And I can't ignore or not mention the so you got Michigan State against Davidson and Davidson's point guard, Foster Lawyer, former Michigan State guard, uh, yeah. was there for three years and pretty much not a favorite of the fan base, I think. Michigan State likes Foster Lawyer now more than they did, you know, the three years he's at Michigan State. So that'll be a fun one. He'll definitely have a lot of pressure uh, and getting a lot of press, probably from the Davidson point of view, just uh, just leading up to this game uh, because, you know, he he basically practiced and played with these guys for three years, and now he's going against them in the first round of the tournament. So that'll be a fun one. But, you know, obviously Bob McKillop at Davidson will uh, be an interesting matchup. But those are my favorites. No, and Nick, I was going to say, he, he said Providence is the luckiest team in the country. Do you feel like you want to come in and defend Wisconsin's honor? Because up until <laughs> the last few games, I mean, they cost me a Purdue. Oh, like, I had a Purdue plus 300 ticket I bought yep. in January, and then they banked in two shots in the final 20 seconds to knock it off. So, they sure I did. Mean, I mean, uh, but you great know, teams do. Great teams use the backboard. They, they Great teams destroy futures. That's right. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to point that out. Wisconsin certainly in contention with Providence. Oh, absolutely. 100%. I, I don't think this is going to be a comfortable night for me. Uh, luckily, we got the late game Friday night. So, you know, maybe be able to uh, you know, have, have some kind of enhancers to kind of relax during the game. But Wisconsin could play any team in the country. It could be IUPUI. And I feel like it's going to be a four-point game with two minutes left. <laughs> I want to talk about uh, South Dakota State, by the way. So you, you guys mentioned that. Like, I looking on Kempom, 44.2% from three as a team. Like that, that is a ludicrous number. That is four percentage points higher than any other team in the country. And number two does happen to be Colgate, uh, which is not super encouraging <laughs> for me. But I mean, what, as somebody who has not admittedly watched a ton of South Dakota State basketball this season, like what, what is the style of play that we should expect when we turn on this game? I think it's just going to be up and down. Uh, that's, that's all they play. They don't play defense. As, as I said, sure. they're not a good offensive rebounding team either. So if their shots, you know, Providence is actually playing – good defense on the outside of the arc and their shots aren't falling, then, you know, this could be a blowout, <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah. I will say uh, on them and teams like them and Colgate, uh, I, I feel like they can be kind of overvalued because of the shooting. Uh, it seems like teams that turn people over uh, come tournament time, travel better with, uh, with some of these Cinderella's teams that play at a fast pace and can turn people over. They do play at a fast pace. So I think that does help them going against teams that aren't used to that. When you look around at, at where a lot of the public money is coming in and the public picks in, in these bracket pools, is there a trendy upset pick that you're just not buying whatsoever right now? I'd say Miami seems to be – that's kind of near 50-50 against USC, but I just don't like – Miami doesn't play defense. I can't I can't go with that one. So I'm looking at our pick popularity data, and, you know, Murray State, I don't know that's an upset. They're very popular. So um, people are definitely loading up on Murray State in what is basically a pick'em game. And I like Murray State too, but that San Francisco team certainly, I mean, that, that's more of a toss-up. If San Francisco is healthy, you're probably getting leverage by, by playing contrarian. 
And then, you know, other than that, I, I do think like Virginia Tech is probably pretty popular and, and Iowa State's probably getting a lot of action or, uh, relative to the fact that LSU is playing with a new coach. So I think people are a little giving it, giving Iowa State a little more chance. Maybe, and maybe that's one to fade. I feel like with Murray State, it's just left over like, oh, yeah, that's where John Morant went to college. I like John Morant. I'm going to pick Murray State. Well, I mean, they're 30 and two. It's not like, uh, right. and, they, and one of their losses was at Auburn who everybody in the SEC lost at Auburn. So, I mean, it's not like they have a good, they have a good resume. San Francisco played, you know, a little tougher schedule, but um, that's a great matchup. And um, I wouldn't be surprised if either of those teams look, look good in this tournament. Somehow we've gone this far without really touching on the two-seed Duke Blue Devils who get Cal State Fullerton wow. on Ooh. Friday night. Yeah, right? They, yeah. they get Michigan State, most likely. Uh, we'll see. Uh, fingers crossed, Adam, in round two. Um <laughs> What do we make of this Duke team? I mean, we saw them come up short in that final ACC game against UNC. We saw them come up short again uh, in the ACC tournament. Obviously, they're still the best team coming out of that conference, but it, it just felt like right when they had started to hit their stride toward the end of the season, you have those two fairly crushing losses on pretty big stages, and then you throw in all the Coach K factors surrounding this. It, it kind of feels like bad things come in threes, and I, I just it feels like this team's bowing out somewhere around the Sweet 16 to me. I wouldn't hate that. <laughs> uh, yeah, like you have their their early wins, like against Kentucky, against Gonzaga. I think people will look at those and be like, yeah, they they got the potential here, but their defense just just hasn't been there. Like it wasn't there in, in the ACC tournament. Like they got like Syracuse did not have Buddy Beheim uh, in that game, and Syracuse is just like they sure they're hitting a bunch of threes and stuff, but like they're still competitive. Miami was competitive with them, and they. Then what they gave up 82 points of Virginia Tech. It just hasn't been there. I, I don't know what's going on with their defense. Uh, Coach K will try and do something. I, I, he's not going to go to like full on zone just immediately in the NCAA tournament, but like he's gone to the zone before and something just isn't working with their defense. Um, like they blame the North Carolina loss on pressure and all that, but like what happened in the ACC tournament? I'm not sure. Well, you don't think there's going to be pressure when every every broadcaster talking right, about right. It could be Coach Hayes' final game? Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll just say this. Yeah, the defense is is a is a question mark. You got to take stand somewhere. I can tell you right now. I, I can't tell you who will pick in all your brackets if you if you come to team rankings and we give you advice. I can tell you we got to make some stands. Probably our biggest liability is Duke winning the title because we are not on that at all. Um, we are we are fading Duke. Uh, in terms of in brackets because they are somewhat popular and they have not been playing well. So we're, we're taking a chance. We're, we'll take that chance. I calculated risk that Duke won't be the one that, that kills us in a bracket pool. Yeah. Duke is the fourth uh, most popular pick. I'm looking here at team ranking. So there you go to win. the right. national So title we're going to fade is. that. Uh, right. So I think that's a, that's a fade for us. If we listen in a month, uh, and, and Duke won the title, then you'll know, um, yeah, it did not go well because we faded. That's that's where we're at. So I don't know how big on the NBA draft you guys are, but I primarily watch college basketball these days to keep an eye on guys like Paolo Bancaro, like Jabari Smith at Auburn, like Chet Holmgren. Are you team one of these three when it comes to NBA stock? You've probably watched more of these three than anybody. Um, you know, Do you have a lean toward Bancaro, Smith, or Chet Holmgren when it comes to who's going to be the best player in the NBA over the next 10 to 15 years? I was on Boncaro early. I'm not sure if you saw this one, but the Gonzaga-Duke game, Boncaro was hmm. absolutely unstoppable. Like, this game yeah. was November 26. 
I feel like coming out of that first half, at least, uh, he didn't really do much in the second half. It was like Bancaro is the number one pick. This guy's amazing. And then it's been like ACC started, and it just hasn't been there. It's sure he has like he has good games and he's getting some some big numbers, but I thought his numbers would be better. And then you see him against a team like Virginia, and it's like, who is this guy exactly? Uh, And then you compare to the other guys. I think what the big knock on Jabari Smith is what he can't take guys off the dribble. You know, he can't. He's not a good dribbler, kind of a thing. But I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, he's eighteen, nineteen. Like this is something he can work on like dribbling is one of the more basic things. Like you can dribble a basketball for 20 hours a day and, and get better at it. So I'm not sure. I kind of like Jabari, I'd say, uh, I, but uh, do you think uh, for you, Nick is, is Chet one of, I haven't really looked at any of the mocks, but I, I've heard more about Chet maybe being uh, the number one pick more popular, number one pick. It depends where you look. Honestly, I, I think I would say from what I've seen, Jabari Smith seems to be the guy that, has emerged as certainly not the consensus because I think all three of these guys and maybe to a lesser degree, Jaden Ivy are still very much in the mix for this. And I I think it's going to, it's going to wax and wane, you know, throughout the pre-draft process always does. Like there's definitely not a firm, this guy's going number one favorite right now, but it it seems like with Holmgren, I I think if I were picking number one, that's where I would lean just because I think the upside with Holmgren is at another level completely. You know, with with Bancaro, we've kind of seen guys, that have fit that mold before. Like you watch him and there's, it's like, that's a little Paul Georgie. It's a little Julius Randle, uh, kind of a mix of a lot of really good NBA players. And, you know, it, it seems to me that he could have like a Carmelo Anthony type of ceiling, which is really good. I mean, honestly, the guy who comes to mind with, with Holmgren, and this is going to sound a little bit outlandish is, is Giannis. And he's not going to get to Giannis's level. I mean, Giannis is on pace to be maybe one of the 10 best players of all time, but there's just no comp for a guy who has that kind of body style. And, and with Holmgren, it's going to come down to whether or not he can add bulk. And, you know, the, the way that Giannis has put on seemingly like 50 pounds of pure muscle uh, over the last few years, that's probably unrealistic. But if Holmgren can add even 10 to 15 pounds in his first year or two in the NBA, I mean, we're talking about a guy who has, you know, versatility that that far exceeds what Bancaro and Jabari Smith are bringing to the table. So if I'm shooting for the stars, I'm going for Holmgren. You know, I think Bancaro and Smith are not going to, you know, you're not going to get fired if you're the GM that takes one of those guys, because I think they have really high floors. Um, you know, things could go awry with Holmgren. I know there's some concerns about like his narrow hips, you know, how, how he's going to age, just having such a unique body style. But I, I think Holmgren is the guy I would lean toward. I, I, I'm not a draft person, so I, I don't have like a strong opinion here. I mean, I, Jabari Smith obviously is a, a great shooter and you can't go wrong with a, a guy that tall that can shoot. Uh, Holmgren, I think, here's my perception. He might have a lot more than these other two at stake with what happens in this tournament. He um, he was he he was lights out in WCC play from outside and everywhere. He shot over forty percent in conference. He was like zero for eight in their losses. He struggled. Right. He did not hit outside shots against Alabama. So how is he going to perform? I think he has a chance to really shoot up in public perception, depending on how he performs going once again, especially in that second round game if he lights it up against the Memphis or Boise State. So I think he's going to have a lot in play because you don't see him against athletes of what he's going to play against too often this year since December. That is a good point. And I I think, you know, Gonzaga probably still gets a worse rap maybe than it deserves in terms of the competition that it plays. Um, you know, it's not like that conference is is full of scrub teams by any means. But I think when you start to go through and say, how many of these games can we say he was playing NBA competition – you know, for guys like Bancaro and Smith, it's, you know, well over half of their of their total games. Whereas with Holmgren, you're really only looking at 
maybe four or five games where you can say, okay, this can give us a reasonable facsimile of what he's going to be facing going forward. And, and yeah, like you said, each tournament game is going to be huge for him because he doesn't necessarily have 20 conference games worth of tape that he can fall back on like Bancaro and Jabari Smith do. Yeah. We could get like a Jalen Duran against, against uh Holmgren there in the, in the round of 32. I mean, we were just talking about Boise state, but like Jalen yeah. Duran was, I don't know where he's at in the draft boards, but he, he did come in as a, as a high level recruit. So. Yeah. He's, I mean, he's, also younger than a lot of those guys. I mean, he just turned 18 a few months ago. I, I like Duran a lot. You'll see him a little bit lower in most mocks. He's somewhere usually between like seven and 12. Um, and I think part of that is just the NBA kind of going away from that type of player. You know, if this was even five or 10 years ago, uh, you know, like Joel Okafor you know, was, was a top three pick in the NBA not that long ago. Like, I, I think it, it just speaks to, you know, the way that the NBA is moving to a four out one in or even a five out type of system in a lot of ways but he's I mean physically Jalen Duran is is up there with anybody in this traffic some of the plays that he had in that conference tournament run for Memphis like he reminds me in, in some ways of a young Dwight Howard whoa All right. yeah I, I mean we'll take it. not quite as physically imposing as Dwight was um but I mean you just don't see a lot of guys with that body at age 18 right yeah I mean can't argue that he's he's a big guy all right guys we'll get you out the door here uh but before we do that need to know what is your lean as of right now? I, I don't need your, you know, you don't need to lay out the full bracket. You don't need to lay out the full path. I know some of that might be under lock and key, but as you go through and you kind of do your dry runs, uh, you know, filling out your brackets, what is the team that you have landed on most often winning the entire thing? I would adapt it to rules, but let's, let's assume I'm in a 50 person pool of friends. I, I would probably be taking Kentucky uh, for a run and maybe to beat Gonzaga in the final. Um, or I guess they're on the same side. Sorry. Um, I would take Kentucky and Gonzaga in the final four, Kentucky to the final, because I think there's value there um, to win. So that, that would be kind of my leverage play would be Kentucky. And on the other side, I think, you know, it, it's a harder call, but in a really small pool, I'd still take Arizona. All right, guys. Really appreciate you jumping on. Uh, Jason, especially. Glad to have you on the pod for the first time. Uh, make sure you're checking out teamrankings.com, teamrankings.com slash rotowire to get that special discount. And of course, make sure you're checking out everything on rotowire.com. Adam's been doing a fantastic job teaming with the rest of our college basketball guys to put up a ton of content just since the bracket came out last night. Make sure you're following Adam on Twitter at rotozadroic. You can give Jason a follow as well at Jason Lisk, J-A-S-O-N-L-I-S-K on Twitter. Guys, really enjoyed this. Thanks again. Yes, thanks for having us. Thank you so much and let's, let's go get it. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.